My guess is a lot of you had empathy for the person in the bed. <laughs> I mean, isn't that just the best feeling when you're all snuggled up under blankets and you've got time to sleep and nowhere to go? That's like the best feeling. I remember feeling that some time ago. And it's such a good This is still warm from you. This is so tempting. <sighs> It's so snuggly, it's like the best feeling ever. And really, I mean, what was she missing out on? Some vitamin D, <laughs> catching a Frisbee. I mean, you can go your life, well, not without vitamin D, but without catching a Frisbee. <laughs> I mean, really, what are the stakes involved here? The stakes don't seem that high. Yeah, she could have made some memories with her friends. She could have built into her life. She could have gotten out and gotten some exercise. Those things all would have been that really good, but I mean, really, what's at stake here? Maybe she just really needed to sleep. What are the stakes involved in just kind of sleeping time away? What are the, it doesn't, come on, it's not that big a deal, is it? Sleeper awake, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you, verse 14. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The idea here that Paul is unpacking, the idea presented in our little skit today, isn't just the benefit between sleeping and hanging out with your friends. It's, a it's the difference between death and life. Paul says there are some very serious things going on, and you can sleep your way through them or you can wake up. And the difference is being dead and being alive, Paul says, and I want you to be alive. Now, why was this important for the Ephesians to know? Why was this a big need for them to be awake? Had they all been sleeping through church? Were lots of them dying suddenly? What was the deal? What is he getting at here? Well, what do you need in order to sleep really well? One of the big things you need in order to sleep well is for it to be dark. I have those big, heavy shades, you know, that you pull them down, and it's like night has come into your bedroom, like those kind of shades. Because like, if there's like a creak of light somewhere, I have a hard time sleeping. I like it dark. A lot of us like it dark when we want to be able to sleep. And Paul says that's exactly the culture that the Ephesians were living in. They were living in a dark world. Darkness was all around them. It was all dark. And one of the big examples of this darkness was the sexual immorality of the Ephesians culture. We've already talked about how in worship in the pagan temples, there will often be cultic prostitutes involved there. But you also need to know that in this time, in this season, in this culture, husbands had mistresses very regularly. You had sex with your wife to produce a legitimate heir, that was important, but just about everybody had a mistress to indulge themselves for their own pleasure. Young boys were reared up in this culture to see sex as their right, as their entrance into manhood. Young girls from wealthy families were told that they had to be kept pure and virginal so that eventually when they did marry, the family line would be pure. 
But young girls from poorer families were often rented out so that their families could make money. Or they would be given to the temple in hopes that because of this great donation, the God of the temple would be kind to the poor family. People had sex with people without responsibility and without implication. And what happened in the Ephesians culture are all the things that happen when sex is separated from covenant. People in power abused the people who didn't have any power. Marriage was about social convenience and contract, not about love or respect. Children were exploited and sold and abused. Sexual diseases were rampant in this society. In fact, if you go and you visit temples now, if you visit the temple of Asclepius, who is the god of healing, you'll find there, to this day, little mementos, little thank you gifts that people gave to Asclepius when he healed them of sexual, sexually transmitted diseases. King Herod, Herod the Great, who built Masada, who built the second temple, who sent the little boys of Bethlehem to their deaths, that Herod died of syphilis. This was a dark space, a dark world, a dark time. And that's why Paul is so straight up at the very beginning of this passage, verse 3. But fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, the word that's translated there as greed in verse 3 and greedy in verse 5 has the idea of coveting behind it, of wanting something that you can't have of longing for something that is just out of your reach. The idea here is that the people in the culture around them longed for things so much that they became an idol. This is all they could think about, was having sex with this person. All they could think about was the next time they were going to hook up. They worshipped it. That was all they thought about. They became obsessed with it. That's the idea. Greedy for impurity. But that wasn't the only problem going on. Flip to verse 18. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, this seems like a kind of an odd placement. Don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. But what he's addressing here is the cult of Bacchus, or Dionysus, who was the god of wine. And there were people who worshipped the god of wine by drinking a lot of wine. Because the idea was that if you drank a lot of wine, then you would become possessed by the god. Now, I've seen people drink a lot of things. They become possessed, but not by any sort of god. They become possessed by the need to be overly affectionate to people they shouldn't be affectionate toward. They become obsessed with the need to sit down quickly. They become obsessed with the need to fall asleep to be rude, to be boorish, 
to be people who, in perfectly nice when sober, become incredibly rude and boorish when drunk. This is the context to which Paul is writing. The Ephesians were engaging in uh, sex without any repercussions. They were drinking themselves into oblivion. Very dark space. All around them was darkness. These people just having sex willy-nilly, no implications, no responsibility, all around them. Paul was writing to the Ephesians, but he may have well been writing to Seattle Grace Hospital. Wisteria Lane, Joey and Chandler's apartment. All around us, fornication, impurity, greediness. All around us. All around us in this culture is there this idea that you can have sex without responsibility. You can have sex without any implications. If you watch television, if you go to movies, what prevents two people from actually having sex together isn't the fact that they're not married. It's not even the fact that they might, might not be in love with each other. It may not be the fact that they won't remember each other's names in the morning. That's not going to keep them from having sex. You know what's going to keep them from having sex? Not having a condom. That's what keeps them from having sex. You may remember this episode from Friends where Rachel is in the bedroom with her boyfriend. Monica is in the bedroom with her boyfriend. They both realize that they're going to have sex. They run to the bathroom and they find how many condoms left. One. So they have to do this little negotiation in the bathroom over who's going to get the last condom. Which, by the way, I just want to be clear, I've never had that conversation with anyone. <laughs> that is like the oddest conversation on film. It's just so weird. Who's going to get the last condom? What, what kind of world is this? So they have this little negotiation. One of them wins, one of them loses. One of the pair has sex. The other pair does not have sex. That's what it's come down to. Those are the only stakes in the game in our society. The only stakes in this sexual game are, am I going to get a disease? Am I going to get anyone or become pregnant? If those two things can be guarded against, have at it. Knock yourself out. A condom, by the way, in this relationship implies, I am not in any way committed to you, nor am I probably being truthful. I'm not going to tell you if I have any disease, and I'm going to assume you're not telling me the truth about whether or not you have a disease. And if this relationship goes on from here, I'm doubting that it's going to be able to support a child. So let's just, let's just be really clear about this. We're doing this simply, I'm doing it for me, you're doing it for you. Let's just get this thing done and move on with our lives. That's the darkness that's all around us. That's the darkness that's all around us. This idolatry of sexual expression without implication, without responsibility. And so Paul says, live as children of the light. Turn away from the darkness. Live as children of light. The stakes, he says, are not, are you going to get a disease? Are you going to get somebody pregnant? 
the stakes are much, much higher when it comes to sex. Verse 5, be sure of this. Be sure of this, he says, that no fornicator, that is anybody who's having sex with anyone to whom they are not married, that's what a fornicator is, no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy that is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What's at stake here? Your eternal destination. That's what's at stake here. Your inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. That's what's at stake here. That's why this matters so much. Because what we do with our bodies reveals the loyalty of our souls. If I am loyal only to me and myself, I will do what I want with anyone I want, any time I want, and no one can speak into that. If I am loyal to God and eager for my inheritance in the kingdom of God, if I'm a single person, I'm going to be chaste. And if I'm a married person, I am going to be faithful. I am going to live as a child of the light. Now, some people say, well, that's just too hard. That's just way too hard. It's way too hard to tell single people that they just can't have sex. No sex for you. It's way too hard to tell married people that they need to be faithful to each other over the course of a 50-year relationship. To say to this single person, hey, I know you got needs, I know you got urges, but just ignore them or repress them or stuff them down or something because no sex for you. It just feels way too hard. Well, it is too hard if we set the single person in the middle of us and say, okay, you're a single person. Live a celibate life. Good luck with that. But that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. I am a single person. I am living a celibate life. And I am not doing it all by myself. I have great friends. Great friends who encourage me in my singleness. They encourage me in my celibacy. I encourage them in their marriages. And we have very frank and honest conversations with each other. My friends know that they can ask me anything about the way that I'm living my life, and they know that I am bound to tell the truth to them. That's how you live as a single person. It's hard, sure. But is it too hard? No. Because all of my life, and all of the calls on all of our lives are to live in community with each other. The whole book of Ephesians is about building the body of Christ together. The whole Bible is about building the body of Christ together, about calling people from all these places to live in relationship with each other. And so I have times when I sit with my friend or I walk on a beach with her and I tell her the truth about what's going on in my life. 
and she tells me the truth about what's going on in her life. And we hold each other accountable and we forgive each other and we love each other in the name of the Lord and we help each other do this. On Thursday night, we had a sexual purity conversation here in the chapel. Some of you were here for that. And we had people write um, little blue cards, the questions that they had about sex. And uh, Pastor Aaron from our staff and Pastor Joy from the Madison Square CRC were here together leading that conversation. And we had really important conversation around topics that we don't normally just talk about in public. We talked about masturbation and we talked about oral sex and we talked about sex in marriage. Very frank conversations with each other. But one of the most common questions on those little blue cards, how do I help my friend? How do I help my friend who's struggling with pornography? How do I help my friend who's thinking very seriously about having sex with her boyfriend? How do I help my friend who has an STD and won't go to the health center? That's what we're talking about. Living in community with each other, helping each other be disciples of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we're talking about. That's what Paul is talking about here when he says in verse 8, For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful to even mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleep or awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Remember the skit at the beginning? What if the house had been on fire? And the person still stayed in the bed. And her friends were around her pleading with her, get up, go to safety, get out. The house is burning down around you. And she stayed in the bed and pulled the blankets over her head and refused to listen. Would we think then that her friends were annoying? Would we think then that she probably deserved to sleep a little bit longer? Paul says, this is what's happening. The house is burning down around you. Wake up. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. You have the power to do this. You have the power to do this. You were once darkness, but now you are light. Through the power of Jesus Christ, you can live celibate, single lives. You can live faithful, married lives. You can say to your friend, I care about you. I see these choices that you're making. I'm really worried. Can we talk about this? You can say to your friend, Let's go together to triplexchurch.com 
and I'll download the Covenant Eyes software for my computer, and you download the Covenant Eyes software for your computer, and so that neither one of us will be tempted to go to the porn sites. You can go to your friend and say, I know this is embarrassing, but I am so worried about you. Can we talk about this? Can I walk you to the health center? I will sit out in the lobby the whole time. I will be there for you. We can do these things because God empowers us to do them. Remember last week we talked about the Holy Spirit and how it cleans us off, how the job of the Holy Spirit is to make us more and more holy, to turn us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul says in our text today that we can be filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, singing, making melody to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father. We can be filled with with the Spirit. And some of you are living as children of light. We see that. We see that you are doing what is good and right and pure. You are living obedient lives. And it is a joy to see. We see this. You are living as children of light. You're concerned about your friends. You're going to call them into relationship with God. You are living as children of light. You're filled with the Spirit. And tonight you go to a table that is going to give you strength for the journey. The sacrament is a mysterious thing. We don't know all the things that it does, but we know that one of the things that it does is feed your soul. And for those of you who are living as children of light, come to the table and be fed and be nourished, be strengthened for the work that you are doing. And for those of us who are hanging out in the shadows, who are living right on the edge, God invites you to come forward to be filled with the Spirit and remember that there is nothing that can keep you from the love of God. There is no sin so great that it cannot be forgiven. There is no one in this room who cannot have a fresh start tonight. This is the gift of God to us. You were once darkness, but now you are children of light. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of his death and resurrection, that's how God sees us. Our sins are washed away in the blood of Christ. We are brought near to God the Father, and we are family together.